from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report, where we count down the top 10 things that made us go wow. wow. Uh, welcome to our 299th show. Can it's you crazy. imagine? <laughs> That is not a joke. It is April Fool's Day, but that is the truth. It is the 299th show. Really Amazing. crazy. Congratulations to us. I just I remember the first one. I remember the very first one we did. Do you? Uh-huh. I remember we did some practice ones to start off with that never made it on the air. We should pick I, those up. They're probably uh, better than I, I joined for the second episode. Oh, was I wasn't that? there for the first one. It's the first team. one was great. The first one was great. I'm sorry. The first was the best we've ever done. Probably peaked. <laughs> well, thank you, Blake. And uh, thank you, Tom, our chief creative officer, for, for being here all these 299 times. And thank you, James St. James, editor of The Wow Report as well. Been through a lot together. Um, we yeah. certainly have. <laughs> so this Nerf. week is, like, is, no, is no exception. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for getting me back on track. Let's get on with the countdown. <laughs> Number 10. It's a miracle that we're still speaking to each other. Here we go. Number 10. Boy, were we wrong. Last year, I think after the Oscars, we were all like, the Oscars are dead. Nobody cares. It's over. Wow. This year's Oscars, for so many reasons, good, bad, and ugly, there is a lot to talk about. So we, I'm going to take just one topic and leave. Like I know we have a lot to say about this. But the slap that was heard and seen around the world, um, it's easy to get into, like, for me, and I'll shut up, but, like, frothy hyperbole and stuff. It's just, you know, and, and there's discussion about who should be talking about this and sensitivities about race. I think... The whole world witnessed an assault, a crime, and we're all eyewitnesses, and we are all allowed our point of view. We can all be caught at our, we all have bad moments. How awful to have one on the Oscars. (laughs) It's also your best moment, and your your best and your worst happen simultaneously. Maybe I'm projecting myself, but like there's somebody who's emotionally unstable going through something who had a huge overreaction to a situation that is really, really unfortunate for everybody involved. What do you guys think? Michael Ailey used to have a saying when he would say champagne glass in one hand and razor blade in the other, meaning that it sometimes it's the best is the best of times and the worst of times simultaneously. And you just it, it's just something that happens in life. My whole take on it is that, you know, yeah, I understand that where some people are saying that it was Will Smith defending the honor of his wife. And I'm fine with, I'm fine with that. I don't give a fuck if, if he beats the crap out of, out of Chris, I don't care. I, but, but I do care that it happened on the stage at the Oscars. If you, if you take it outside, boys, take it outside, guys, take it into the alley and smack the crap out of them, but don't do it in the one place. The one time civility is supposed to be the, the, the way of the, of the night. And so that that's my take. I don't care if they beat each other up, but just don't do it on stage at the Oscars. I love your, your take, James. It's like moral dilemmas with James St. James. Beat the shit out of each other by all means. <laughs> just do it at home. But do, he, he's, you know, if it's defending your wife, if it's if they have beef going back a long time, 
it, that's fine. That is between the two of them. Don't bring the whole world into it and just take care of it on your own. I want to beat the crap out of somebody every day, at least once a day, sometimes several times. But well, I God. don't. But I don't. I'm saying yeah. instinct and, you know, what the, 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 the animal instincts we have, we're, we're hopefully civilized people most of the time. And the other thing, and, and Fenton's got a lot to say about this, it's like, it's comedy. It's a joke. Sticks and stones won't break, you know. I'm That's sorry. just it. And, and you know, at, at this point in their careers, they've all been, you know, Ricky Gervais has hosted so many, so many times. I mean, that's just, it, it is what it is. And, and comedians get on stage and, and rag on each other. All that. That's what roasts are for. You should, you should, at this age, you should be over it. You shouldn't be, you know, so. Well, you're so a star for one thing. So if you can't take people saying mean things about you. And the, the whole night is just millionaires slapping each other on the back. Yes. And that's. This takes the sort of the piss out of that a little bit. If if you if you can joke around about it, otherwise it does just turn into you Benson, know. what's your take? What's your take? I'll tell you one thing. And James, I don't know if you if you showed this with me, but maybe 30 seconds before the slap, oh yeah, Chris Rock turned to Denzel Washington and said, I loved you in Macbeth. Oh, I have heard yes. tell. You are never not allowed to, to say the word Macbeth in the theater. It is instant bad luck. Yes, you were supposed to say the Danish play, right? And so I, I think Scottish play actually. Oh, the Scottish play, yeah, because it's not Danish. <laughs> now we're going to have the Scots mad at us. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I, I just thought that was fascinating. I, I, so we have to do a whole separate thing about the curse of the of the Scottish play. Um, but also, you know, I, I actually, on the one hand, it was such a toxic moment. And I found that all the sort of polarizing rhetoric of the last few years seemed to pour into this one moment and sort of that explode out. And reading all the comments has been really, it's kind of been an education. Like, just to see how people, just incredible diversity of reactions nine out of ten which i personally disagree with because i just think we witnessed an assault and that was incredibly upsetting for anyone to have to watch i was i was actually i was yes i posted a few items about it because i was so upset but i i got some backlash too saying that this was not something that i needed to step off Right. And, and not be a part of this. And I think you got some of that too. I did, yeah, yeah. Bill Maher said that it was like Twitter incarnate, that it was like, you know, he laughed, she didn't, and then he had to virtue, like, like punish and take someone down. Um, and the, the only thing is sort of breaking news as recording is it's been revealed that the Academy did ask him to leave the theater. He refused and the Academy board is saying that they're going to review this. It'll take several weeks, but they'll have I some. don't think that they're going to take away his his Oscar because they didn't take it away from Kevin Spacey. They didn't take it away from Harvey Weinstein. They didn't take it away from Roman Polanski. So they aren't going, but the, he might not be invited back next year. If I were Will, I would say, give your Oscar back. Say that consequences, have, you know, actions have consequences. I'll take it back. He'll always be the winner. He'll always have that asterisk. I, I would. I think we're all craving for him to do something or say something beyond a tweet that says "I did wrong." 
Well, final thought about this. I just want to say that at a night when one of the best things that I've seen happen on the Oscars in decades was when Lady Gaga and Liza Minnelli, and I thought that was such a beautiful moment. And to have, to have I thought that would, should have been the takeaway of the night is just what a great moment it was that she was there. She said, I'm there for you, babe. It was just beautiful. It brought tears to my eyes. Hey, James, I've got you. I've got you. Yeah. All right. All right, let's change the subject and move on to number nine. Oh, number nine. We're going to talk more about the Oscars. <laughs> number nine, I wanted to talk about the Oscar fashions because there was so much to unpack there. I want to say that the best dressed of the night easily was Jessica Chastain. I thought that lilac into the copper ombre with the sequins, I thought it was so beautiful. It went with their skin tone. It went with their hair color. Everything about it was just so beautiful. I want to say the worst dressed of the night was Nicole Kidman with that awful, god-awful peplum, big, fat tire roll around her waist. I thought that was ugly as hell. I wanted to say um, that Kristen Stewart showing up in the Chanel hot pants was the night's most shocking. I loved I, it. I normally would have, have reached, said no, but it was so bad. I mean, it was so fabulous. It, I, I will allow it. Similarly, Timothy Chalamet showing up without the shirt on. The the old man in me was like, you look like a goddamn hippie put a shirt on. But then the more I realized that it is a place to, you can you can break rules at the Oscars. You can do that type of we thing. Live in, a, in a post-COVID, post-apocalyptic world, we all need to be dressing more like Mad Max. Like it's just, it's, it's, it has to happen. But he would. He but but if you're a skinny twenty five year old hot boy, you can get away with it. I don't think anyone else could get away with it. I also want to say Cody Smith McPhee in that aqua colored, the seafoam colored tuxedo, the boy from Power of the Dog. I thought he looked absolutely spectacular. Um, and the guy Fenton, uh, the from the Eleven Rings, the Marvel movie. Oh, yes. That Asian man. Oh, he's so handsome. And he wore a red Versace with the gold buttons. And he came with a white shirt and black bow tie. And then when he went to the Vanity Fair and the Elton John party, he took the shirt off. And it was sort of like a Timothy Chalamet. And it looked even better. But I like the fact that he switched it up a little bit. And then also Rosie Perez, who finally got her first Oscar invitation in 35 years. She looks fantastic. She looked gorgeous. And um, I... I think that's it. Did anyone else have any favorites? This is no. so mean. I, I should edit myself, but didn't Tracy Ellis's boobs look giganto? Yeah, Tracy got some bad some some bad reviews for it, as did Ariana Bose. I think the girl from West Side Story who won. Yeah. So, some some of the the fashion police did not like either of them. I thought I'm they were beautiful. beautiful. They were both gorgeous red red dresses. I'm not shaming them, beautiful women. No, I love big, no. sumptuous yeah. bazooms. It made them look funny. This made them look the, funny. The, the shape was a little weird. The shape was weird. Yeah. But I love her, and I love, yeah, and I love to talk it, about fashion. It doesn't mean I don't love the people wearing the clothes. Yeah, and Ariana, when she's, you know, the queer woman of color, and she's the first, and, and she won for the same role that, um, who's McCall won? And Rita Moreno. Rita Moreno won. It was a beautiful moment. That was really nice. I enjoyed that. What do you think of the show generally, James? I mean... I thought it was incredibly dull and lifeless. Well, actually, it was better than I thought it was going to be. A, we were expecting a, a shit show uh, on a gigantic scale, but I'm also wondering, and this is the conspiracy theorist in me, was the slap planned? Was it part to, to get people talking about the Oscars? Was Are these two comedians in on it, and they were trying to do pull a stunt 
it seemed very stunty to me. I don't know. I would only agree with you if Will Smith had gone up and ripped Chris Rock's shirt and exposed his nipple. Then I would have thought maybe it was planned. But other than that, I think it was. When you said, I, I think you know people talk about the slap, but that that was a slap with some. I thought power. it was a punch. I thought I I kept thinking it's not a slap. That is a punch. That's what I say. Okay, so it was technically an open hand, therefore arguably technically a slap, but delivered with the force of a punch, which I feel precludes it being pre, uh, a setup or a fake. Let's move on to number eight. Number eight. Number eight. Okay, well, World of Wonder won its first Oscar. Sort of, kind of, not really. Um, no, 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 take the win, take the win. Congratulations to Jessica Chastain for winning Best Actress in the Eyes of Tammy Faye. And the reason I say it's a World of Wonder Oscar is, of course, because the Eyes of Tammy Faye, the movie, is based on the Eyes of Tammy Faye. The documentary, which wait, um, don't you have some sort of a producer credit? Isn't yes, there I do. Yes, yes. Okay. I'm glad to say executive producer credit, and it, I'm glad to say it rolls in the pre-titles. So I suppose it's not an idle boast. No. Um, but of course, you know, at the moment that this reveal happened, no one was thinking about any of this. Or, uh, <laughs> so, um, but I, I think it's really good because I mean, Jessica Chastain is amazing. And the makeup is amazing, and that also won an Oscar, so congratulations to them. But I think it's greatest of all because I feel that Tammy Faye's work in the small screen was really never fully appreciated, and she was never really taken seriously, really until Jessica played this role on the big screen. And we all know there is a long and abiding snobbery divide between the small screen and the big screen. And I'm just so thrilled that by playing Tammy on the big screen... Jessica, uh, 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 through her own genius, she produced the film too, uh, accrued all these, uh, um, what's the word, plaudits. No, not plaudits. What is, uh, acclaim. Thank you. Acclaim is the word. Wait, I wait a minute. Hold on. I honestly think you're selling yourself short here because I think the Eyes of Tammy Faye, the documentary, had mm. such an impact. And it was so influential in the documentary world. And it really put World of Wonder in it, on the map. And also, I believe that Tammy Faye felt the love. I believe It resurrected that. Tammy Faye's reputation yeah. in this world. She became Came, she died way too soon after that, but, but she had already she knew. She that, knew movie, that movie she shifted the narrative of her story. And Jessica Chastain, who gave an amazing performance and deserved to win that Oscar, and shout out to Abe Silva, our friend who wrote the script. Um, 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 she was wise enough of, of a woman and an actress and a human being to see your documentary, yours and Randy's documentary, and to say, I want to play this role because you guys told the story and, and, and nobody takes subjects like Rainy and Fenton and loves them to death the way you guys do. And tells them, them, loves them to death. No, but you do, you, 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 no, yeah. but you, you love them and you embrace them and you tell their story. I think you take on their, the responsibility of telling someone's story in a really profound way. If I say but right but I honestly you. believe that Tammy left this world knowing how loved she was because of the documentary. Oh. Well, I don't think that there's a, for a doubt that you should sell that's your word about that. Well, yeah. Thank you. And I, I don't mean to, to do that, but thank you so much because that's very sweet of you both. And also, I think it's true that the, the gay community really embraced Tammy. You know, yeah. we really understood her. We understood, I think we understand camp and we understand camp not as a marginal thing, but actually as a profound moral force. And I think Tammy was using that. Uh-huh. And I, I, 
So I, I'm really, you know, I feel that this is in a way the, the canonization of, of Tammy Faye. And I'm just so thrilled to have I, I call it the miracle of drag on Drag Race, the power of camp. I love all, of us reclaiming our power and our, and you know, from how we tell our stories. Reclaiming our camp. Reclaiming our camp. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the gratitude I have as a person just watches, I have nothing to do with this other than just knowing you and watching from the outside and the gratitude and the beauty of life if you live long enough that something you guys did 20 years ago? 25 yeah. years ago. 20 oh, years ago. It was Sundance uh, 99 or 2000. Yeah, kept the story alive. Kept the story alive. Put it on tape. Put it out into the universe and, and set those waves so he could 20 some odd years later come back as this performance. And, you know, may not be the way you wanted to win your Oscar or yet, but boy, no, oh, but it's not a sentiment, but it's such a beautiful extension of your work. And I, I'm really impressed by it. And uh, thank you, Tom. That is really, I'm probably going to cry, but also. That it, I can think of well, no wait, better way. Cry. I want to make you cry too. <laughs> just, just, not just Tom. Let me do. <laughs> there can be no better way to win an Oscar than in, in a sort of arm's length way. Do you know what I mean? I do think that the appalling pressure of being on that stage, you know, uh, uh, and all that attention, I and the assault and battery, you know, potential. Right. You know, exactly. you know, let's, just, let's say this is the first of many. It is you, your accolades mm. are 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 going to come pouring down the mountain after this. All right. Well, thank you. Let's go on that on that wonderful note. Uh, Did that make go. you cry? Did that make you cry? <laughs> no, it made my head swell several <laughs> sizes. On that wonderful note, let's go to a break, and when we come back, we'll continue with the countdown of the top ten things that made us go wow. Congratulations, Jessica. Congratulations, your hair and makeup team. You can see the original documentary on Wow Presents Plus, and you can watch the movie, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, same title, on HBO Max. And I, I really recommend seeing them both because they're similar and different. And, you know, yeah. I love that. And All another right. companion piece for that, I would say you should watch when Jessica Chastain and the director of The Eyes of Tammy Faye were on this show which I'll post under the number eight on the Wow Wow Presents post this week. I love that. Okay. Do you have a question for us, Blake? I do. I do. Um, I came up with this one with James, but he doesn't know the answer. Which actress has been nominated the most times for an Oscar, but has never won? All right. Okay. We'll have the answer right after the break. Tom Campbell definitely knows. We'll be right back after the break. You listen to the Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to Wow Report. Uh, I'm Fenton here with Jane St. James and Tom Campbell and Blake Jacobs. You had a question for us. I do. Um, Which actress has been nominated for the most Oscars but has never won? I'm going to put in two two people and then Tom's going to tell us which one is correct. Um, I'm going to say it's either Glenn Close or Amy Adams. Yeah, I'm going to go with Glenn Close, by the way. I'm going to go with Glenn Close. It's Glenn Close. Yeah. Amy and Adams is up there. She's been nominated wow. four or five times and never won. Yeah. Glenn and remember, Close. this was supposed to be the year of Glenn Close because uh, Sunset Boulevard was supposed to come out and then it stalled in production. She deserves an Oscar, seriously. She, yeah, she really does. It's very, you know, and, and how many more opportunities is she going to have? A lot. She works all the time. I love, I love her. <laughs> we are counting down the top 10 things that made us go, wow, we've reached number seven. Number seven. I got hooked on 
the winning time. Blake, help me with the title. See, it's sports stuff. I can't remember. Winning time, the rise of the Lakers dynasty. And the Lakers, just so you know, is a basketball team in Los Angeles, California. <laughs> what oh. happened to you? To, like, <laughs> I should know who the wrote and everything, but it, um, Michael C. Riley, I'm losing every name in my mind. Do you, that actor? Yeah, is the lead. And it's about, it's set in the late 70s, early 80s when Lakers were nothing and nobody cared. And as you you recall in the 80s, even if you weren't a basketball fan, the Lakers were everything. Magic Johnson's Kareem Abdul, you know, Jabbar. And I moved out here the summer of 84 and it was, my brother was a huge Celtics fan and the Lakers and they would come together. And that's when Jack, they, they created show business um, at the forum and created this is what the Lakers girls started, were yes. a big part of in, that. Instead yes. of cheerleaders, they had Lakers girls. Paula Abdul came from that. Calamity Paula. Thank you. Yes. And, you know, the idea of ringside front row seats for celebrities, an invention of the Lakers. And they also had this um, showtime offense where it was instead of, instead of like going into everyone's position and playing basketball, they would race and run and race and run. And this is from a book that was written, I think, 10 years ago, but it is told in the most raucous, fun. Sometimes it breaks into animation. Sometimes it's recreation. It's, it's, it's a straightforward comedy drama. Sally Field plays Michael C. Riley's um, uh, uh, mother. And it's just a caliber of acting. And in a time when, you know, shows like Forgive Me uh, and, and Just Like That, the Sex and the City sequel, are desperately trying to bring black and white storylines together. This is a real, natural overlap of stories of the athletes and the owners and the, and the behind the office people. And it's, I, I can't wait each week. It, it debuts on, I think, Sundays. And I can't wait to watch we we have to say that it's John C. Riley, not Michael C. Oh, Riley. I'm so doy. Also, I want to say that um the thing that that speaks to me is it looks like all there's some great 70s music and some great 70s fashions and great 70s hairdos, and that's what what sort of pulls me in. And Gabby Hoffman. Oh yeah. yeah, Gabby Hoffman's in it too. I just have to say, with all my love for it, some you know it's hard to put a wig on a man. As we can, as we can attest to here with us three baldies, um, but you know what, James, you'd be great in a GI Jane. No, um, but um, <laughs> too soon, too soon. Too soon. I've got alopecia. You keep my damn name out of your mouth. <laughs> Keeping the name out of the mouth—that's such a strange. I've heard that before. Anyway, I'm so embarrassed. John C. Riley, forgive me if you're listening. He is the best actor in the world. I love everything he does. He plays this kind of guy with a comb over and open shirts, and his body's not great, great, but he dresses sexy. And you know what? He's such a good actor. He is sexy. It's just such a blast. Um, you totally sold me on it. I gotta watch it. Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty on HBO Max. It's gotten some mixed reviews. I'm telling you, it is totally addictive, and the men's wigs are bad. Okay, that is it. All right, let's move on to number six. Six. Number six. I watched the Oscar-winning documentary Summer of Soul over the weekend on Hulu. Finally. Did you see it? Yes. Did we talk about about it on the show? I have, but I I love it so much. Talk about it every week. Go. (laughs) 
Did Wait a minute. I thought for sure that this was that. You mean nobody told me when I said Summer of Soul that we've already Maybe done that? Maybe away that week. I think Tom really <laughs> talked about Marilyn McCool. Well, I okay, talked about is, the whole damn thing. He did. Okay. Roll it. Roll tape. Roll tape. <laughs> okay. Um, so anyway, it's 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 a documentary that's set in the in 1969 in the summer of 1969. Coincidentally, it takes place on the same day as the lunar landing on is the moon landing, which is sort of an interesting side mm. story. But it takes place in a park in Harlem. Three hundred thousand people showed up. That's a park. Lineup was so spectacular. Stevie Wonder, Nina Simone, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Sly and the Family Stone, The Fifth Dimension, Mahalia Jackson, BB King. Uh, um, there's gospel, blues, R&B, soul, rock. It's absolutely spectacular to see everybody at their absolute peak. There's so many interesting moments. Just the, the there's a Marilyn McCoo moment that I think you talked about. Maybe I wasn't here for this, where she's what she and Billy Davis Jr. are watching it from 2022, and they're getting all teary eyed. And there's someone from the audience who is talking about it's the first time they because Marilyn McCoo, the Fifth Dimension scene, Aquarius, uh, um, let the sunshine in. They were sort of criticized at the time for not being black enough. They and didn't so, sound black. Was yeah, the criticism. They, 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 they were saying that they, they got uh, some criticism saying they sounded too white. But here they are at this this Harlem Cultural Festival, and the 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 audience is going bananas because they've never seen. I mean, her beauty is just breathtaking. She is so beautiful, and the song is so beautiful and uplifting. And it's there's just this great moment where everybody is just joined in in the the power of of the moment. I loved every moment of this, but I loved, with the fifth dimension, they were in goofy costumes, which were very hip for the time. Well, was- no, 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 no. I, I want to stop you right there because one of the interesting takeaways for me was the fact that the fifth dimension come out in their matching tuxedos and matching outfits. The Gladys Knight and the Pips come out and they're wearing those matching tuxedos. The four tops come out during the matching tuxedos. But there's a great moment where Sly and the Family Stone show up and they are not matching. And there's a white drummer and everyone is freaked out. There's a woman trumpeter and everyone is freaked out. And then they start singing that there is a yellow one that doesn't like the black one for B. It's different strokes. And they realize that the, 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 the four tops and the pips all realize that maybe they are old school and this is the 70s and that this is the new wave of things and they instantly felt old-fashioned being in their matching tuxedos and i thought that was fascinating because you have sly and he's wearing you just you see the 70s coming on suddenly with the with the with the point the big pointy collars and the choke choker and the no shirt and the hat and the fashion their fashion is just so groundbreaking that it makes puts everybody else in their place i thought that was fascinating the other moment that i just that really got to me was mahalia jackson the the one of the greatest singers of all time and she's the gospel singer and she leans over before she she takes the stage and she says to um, mavis staples the, uh, the up-and-coming uh gospel singer and she says Sister Mahalia is not feeling too well. You might have to help me with this. And Mavis Staples is, is like Liza Minnelli and Lady Gaga says, I got you. I got you. Well, then Mahalia Jackson grabs the microphone and tears the house down. You have never the power of this woman's voice. And she once she got that microphone, it was like the, she wasn't sick. There was no she has. That was one of the strongest performances I've ever seen in my life. It brought tears. It gave chills to me. How powerful. And tell me if you believe this. It's with all the enthusiasm, every performance is like that. Everyone is a revelation. And the, every, the, yeah. the little history of it is that this was shot. This, this took place over a number of Sundays in August. 
by this gentleman that no one credits, who is this sort of flamboyant MC. And they shot it, filmed it, expecting to sell it. No one would no buy one. it. And this is and, the first time anyone has seen it since. And the, the guy who took the film had it in his basement. Yeah. And, and when he was dying, he gave it over and Quest Love got it and it won the, the Academy Award. But it's it's it is like a time capsule on Earth. And the thing that killed me about Marilyn McCoon and Billy Davis Jr. is they had never seen it. They had done it, they had never seen it, and they were like, and it's an audience full of beautiful, vibrant. And the audience is so gorgeous, people. and everybody is so happy. The interesting thing, the, the sad thing to me though, is that I wish it could have been a five-part series or something like that because there, there's so much backstory, so much context that they have to bring into it about the race relations in the 1969, about the, the state of Harlem, about the music industry. Everybody has their own story so that you don't really get full numbers. You have people breaking in and talking about the number. You have people talk, giving you context. I would have liked more, more music. And more backstory, and I think that they could have really done five. You know what? Episodes. Maybe they can do another version. I don't see yeah. why not. I like mean, it's just it's spectacular, and like I said, the love and the joy and the beauty and the just the 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 just the emotion you get watching this movie and watching this documentary. And the audience, and I, I said this when I said it, and it's terrible. But usually, when you see crowds of black people represented on television or in the media, it's in a riot or a crisis or this is just there is not beauty. one moment of violence in the and entire thing and appreciation is for beauty. Feeling, feeling so much love it's just it's such an and, and if we talked about it before i think we could talk about it every week we could it's, so beautiful. it's streaming I mean, on hulu so check it out now i will send in to watch it and re- report on it next week I, yes. I will i will um so we're moving on to number five number five jada pinkett smith did Instagram that this is a season for healing and I'm here for it. And in that spirit, I started reading a book about Jerry Falwell. Now, Jerry Falwell, uh, you may or may not know, was the man who is considered to be the person who took Jim and Tammy's ministry away from them. He came in when uh, Jim was caught in a sex scandal. And the idea was that he was going to look after the ministry for a little bit until the press died down and then hand it back to them which, of course, is not what happened. Um, And so, you know, to some extent, Jerry Falwell Sr. has always been the villain of the piece. Um, And yet, when the Vanity Fair article came out recently about Jerry Falwell Jr., his son, being caught in a, a sex scandal too, I sort of just got, I just began to think about this family. And this book tells the story of the Falwells. Before Jerry Falwell Sr., his parents, his dad, was a moonshiner and a gambler and a businessman. And it's actually kind of tragic because he shot and killed his brother, who was uh, an alcoholic and went on a sort of murderous rampage. And Carey shot his brother Garland in self-defense. Well, you know, you do that kind of thing, you go to prison. Yes, that happened. But also, it kind of destroyed Carrie's life. That's Jerry Falwell Sr.'s dad, who, you know, became an alcoholic as well. And so it's kind of a tragic thing. And Jerry Falwell Sr., I must admit, as a person I have had great antipathy for, he has blamed the gays and the feminists and the abortionists for 9-11. He made a lot of... mm, I, uh, hateful statements uh, 
but he's a really interesting guy. And he built this university, Liberty University in Lynchburg. And his son, Jerry Fulwell Jr., saved the university. And uh, then destroyed it later on. No. I mean, it, my point being that, you know. Did, hasn't it brought some shame to the, to the you know, the Jerry Fulwell Jr. and the pool boy? What, I, what I'm taking away from this, James, is that it's a season for healing. And I do think that the legacy of Jerry Fulwell Sr., may be very divisive. And in fact, perhaps we could trace some of today's polarization to his policies and beliefs and statements. But Jerry Fulwell Jr. is a really interesting guy. And he came up with the idea, for example, of remote learning, of students using VHS cassettes, video cassettes, and that saved Liberty University. And of course, yes, you're right, James, Jerry Fulwell Jr. is now out of Liberty University. Um, because of the scandal that he was involved in. But in thinking about all this and in reading this fascinating book, you can see this family that over generations has had a huge impact on America. Um, it also sounds a little bit, there's like some cascading generational trauma that every, yes. you know, the, the sins of the father keeps being brought down upon the sons. And Absolutely. And I think that that, by the way, I'm not an armchair psychologist. It sounds like I'm about to be one, but you know, I've read some of the remarks that Will Smith grew up in an abusive household with a father who, you know, was very violent. So where am I going with this? I, I just, I am fascinated by the complexity of the fall dynasty and that they are not cardboard cutout villains in the same way that any of us are. Well, you, and, you don't. You don't have to approve of somebody in order to be fascinated by them and to, to think that they're worthy of of learning about and, and reading about. I think that's very well put, and I think that the, the sort of takeaway for me is that you know behind all these headlines and these sort of polarized positions, there are almost infinite complexities, which is not, as you say, James, to excuse any of it. But I think. We can all learn a tremendous amount yeah. from. And from... if we just read, we just read perky little stories about wonderful people. I mean, how boring would that be? I like learning <laughs> about complex, sometimes people who are in the wrong and not always good people. Understanding human nature is good for all of us. Yes. I often will think when they go into a deep dive on some criminal behavior, OJ or whatever, it's like, what would it take for me to do that? Like, are we aren't we all in some way? Where is the moral line? Where is the thin yeah, red line what, that we all cross? What, what, what circumstances is the line that make people do what they do? Is it pure evil? Usually not. Usually not. Well, and what's um, that old what's that old saying? If you don't know your history, it's bound to repeat. You're doomed to repeat it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I do. If you're in the mood to read a book, read Fullwell Inc. by Dirk Smiley. Um, it was published in 2008, so there's a lot more to the story subsequently, but it's an absolutely fascinating account how one family, not only in Lynchburg, but, you know, really affected, shaped America. I mean, because the moral majority, Jerry Falwell Sr.'s organization that he co-founded, you know, got Reagan elected twice, and Jerry Falwell Jr. arguably got Trump elected too. So a very, very significant family. Um, let's take a quick break. Have you got a question for us, Blake? I do. It's sort of the same question as last time, but which actor is tied with Glenn Close for the same number of nominations that they've never won at the Oscars? You're listening to the Wow Report on Radio Andy. We'll be right back after the break. 
You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. It's Fenton here with Tom and James and Blake. I just want to say, Drag Race España is now streaming. That's season two. Now streaming on Wow Presents Plus with new episodes every Sunday, 11 a.m. Perfect thing to do on the weekend. And also of note, the Drag Race España premiere featured the first trans pit crew member. Yes. Nice. Awesome. Um, Blake, you got a question? I did. We I asked last time who, which actress had been nominated the most times at the Oscars and never won. And this time I'm asking what actor is tied with Glenn Close for eight nominations and they've never won an Oscar? Well, I can't even imagine this one. Tom, do you know? I don't know. I'm blank, but I'm going to guess he may have won an Oscar, but I'm going to guess it was Gene Hackman. Oh, interesting. Okay. Are they, uh, yeah, is the person still alive? Can I get a clue? Um, I don't think so. Cary Grant. Cary Grant was never nominated. Oh, okay. <laughs> Cary Grant, Humphrey Bogart, and a, a number of those people never got nominated at all. James, do you have a guess or did you already guess? I don't have a guess. I'm sorry. Peter O'Toole. Oh. I thought he won for my favorite year. I thought he that was his big... I thought he won a Lifetime Academy Award. He, he should have for Lawrence of Arabia, boy. But yeah, interesting. You he, guys, Blake comes up with these questions. He doesn't make mistakes. He was the best actor nominate, nominee for Lawrence of Arabia, Beckett, The Lion in Winter, Goodbye, Mr. Chips, The Rolling Class, The Stuntman, My Favorite Year, and Venus. He did uh, receive the Academy Honorary Award for Lifetime Achievement in O2. Oh, oh, oh. Fenton wins. Well, he still was nominated eight times and never won, so. Right. The Ruin Class is a, is a very sick movie. It's very interesting if you've never seen it. And also, what was what was the second one after Once of Arabia? What was that? Beckett. And the Lion in Winter, he's spectacular in that. Oh, with Catherine Hepburn, it's so good. Let's carry on with the countdown. Number four, James. Tom. <laughs> Number four. I have a rest in peace that's very personal to me. I want to share it with you and with the world. I sent you guys just before we started. I don't know if you had a chance to see it. But my best friend since college, Johnny Moore Hawkins, his life partner, Ashton Hawkins, uh, passed away this week at the age of 84. He'd been suffering with Alzheimer's for the past couple of years. It was a very tough time for Johnny and for Ashton. And it's, it's um, not for me to say, but it's in many, you know, as, as these things are, it's a blessing that he's released. Um, the New York Times just did his obituary. It was published today. And I think of James because there's a picture of him dancing uh, with Brooke Astor. Oh, lovely. Yes. There's a picture of him at the Met where he was uh, the, the legal, legal head counsel. There's a picture of him walking with Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, which was a gift from her a little. And, and it's inscribed. I've seen this in person. It says, to Ashton, everyone's favorite. Because he was this beautiful, wonderful. Now, this is the this is, this is the couple that you spent time with. You stayed in their apartment in yeah, um, New York, and I went to Patmos with them. Yes, and, yes. And here's a picture of him as a young rakish man. Um, this picture was taken by his friend Princess Margaret. But the thing about Ashton is, none of this came from him. He he was friends with Warhol. He uh, and at the same time, he wined and dined, and it, it just lived in a different society and used all of his 
resources, his personality, his beauty, his charm, his intellect. He was a lawyer to, to help um, shape the art world in the Metropolitan Museum for 25, 30 years. Wow. And, um, and just lives a, lived a life that's so rare and never bragged about anything. Anything I've learned about him, I've learned from uh, Johnny. I feel weird talking about this, but it's in the New York Times, so it's, I guess it's okay that I can. But, uh, and he was always a wonderful man who had room for everyone. They were so social. It was, it was almost a joke to me when I first, they got together in the 90s when I was doing The View and I was in New York and I could spend a lot of time with them. And it was just like, you, you know, so many social obligations, so many things. And yet it was sincere and there were relationships. And there's a story that's not in this uh, obituary where, um, who was the head of Vogue in the 50s? A giant Diana Vreeland. Yeah. She was Diana Vreeland, yes. So Diana, she was dumped from Vogue, right? And she was of a certain age. She had no money. And Ashton and a bunch of people came in and rescued her and decided that they would they would expand upon and grow the, 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 the costume uh, museum at the Metropolitan, which led to what is now, you know, the, the, Metro, the, the Met Ball and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And and I, I was it's the one time that I went to him at lunch. I was just like, please tell me details. I just seen the documentaries like ten years ago, and he said, well, you know, it was all about we had this idea, but it had to be an endowment. You had to we had to raise money, and it was all about who was the first luncheon, who's the first person you go to because it's about little luncheons where they donate, and then the next group donates, and the next group donates. And he goes, and I I said, our first luncheon was with Jacqueline Onet Kennedy. <laughs> and from that moment on, he was able to build this thing, which is the the the, the costume institute. Right. The Met Boys, the the party of the year, the, yes. the global event, and, and um, just one little thing. He knew the Aga Khan. He he was at one time Princess Margaret needed to be away from. She was in between marriages, and it was decided by this group of friends that Ashton be the perfect person to be with her. You know, and they became fast friends, and he was like spent time with her and. It's just, it's a world that no longer exists. And Johnny, my friend, hope I'm not jinxing him, it has to write the book. Because Johnny- well, I guess wrote, that is the book I want to read. Like, yeah. hurry, please. Johnny is the last link to tell Ashton's life. And they spent the last 25 years before Ashton's illness. And he was the most, to his last day, he was the most dapper, handsome, young man. Um, and he, um, and, and they traveled the world and had a blast and had real love and- we're married when they could be married. And, um, uh, you know, you read a lot of these obituaries and you, you project. I was lucky enough to know Ash a little bit. But, and and I, I grieve for my friend Johnny and I look forward to uh, um, um, seeing him in May and, and, and paying my respects to Ashton. Rest in perfection. That's well, and how weird is it that uh, I want to mention Taylor Hawkins, the Foo Fighters. Oh, another Hawkins passed, passed away. away. No, I, I did. I just want to say that there were a couple. We we did have some other losses this week, mm. and it was Taylor Hawkins from the Foo Fighters, as well as uh, Tom Parker from The Wanted, who passed away at age thirty uh, from cancer. And that's it's it's very sad because um, uh, we we lost a, a bunch of people, and and not to take away from what Tom was saying, but it's just it's another sad day. Moving on then to number three, James. Number three. Number three, I wanted to talk about the Gilded Age finale on HBO. I don't know if you guys st- st- stayed with it or not. I feel like I was talking a little bit about the Gilded Age as I was, I was, I was talking about no, that's, right. that's just it right there because the final it, 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 
uh, yeah, the vestiges of a time gone by. And a lot of people, you know, it seemed like the gays were divided. There were euphoria gays and Gilded Age gays. I was a Gilded Age gay. I loved every single minute of it. The finale, it, it was, oh, my God, Mrs. Russell finally had the party for her daughters coming out. And through a bunch of devious machinations, she was able to get Mrs. Astor to agree to come. And once Mrs. Astor said she would come, then suddenly the skirmer horns and the Stuyvesant fishes Overnight. and the matches. Everybody came. Cool, yes, Everybody all came. Cool, bowed down to Mrs. Russell. And Mrs. Russell stood with Mrs. Astor. And she said to her, I could be very good for you. And Mrs. Astor said, I doubt it. And she said, oh, just you wait. And that opened the door for Mrs. Russell to be invited into this New York society. A lot of people, like I said, commented on how it moves at a glacial pace. <laughs> and but I but if you are into the story, you are into the story. The outfits, the sumptuous gowns are unbelievable. The interiors, as Fenton has talked about, are absolutely spectacular. Carrie Coons, Broadway star Carrie Coons, is absolutely spectacular as Mrs. Russell. I've got to say that Morgan Spector, who plays her husband, is damn fine hold on hold on slow down slow down i need a little bit of dead air space just to think about how good looking he is oh he's just absolutely i mean he is just so handsome and just everything he says just you melt and i've got to say that her son played by um uh, harry richardson is absolutely adorable so there's a lot that you can grab onto. I, I see Fenton rolling his eyes. Because rolling eyes. Has the gorgeous, the, the humble banker returned to claim the hand of um, Meryl Streep's daughter? Has that happened yet? Well, he, that was- he, turned out, he turned out to be quite the rake. He turned out to be quite a rogue. And he was just using her. And he that was produced by society. Yes, he, he, was, he, was, he got his head turned. And she was no longer good enough for him. In and the most and, unbelievable plot twist of the season. But if you did Downton Abbey, then, but you were too much of a snob to care about 1880s America, well, uh, I, I have, I good, I duff my hat to you, sir. Good day to you. <laughs> I'm happy to live with that. Thank you very much. Let's move Nobody on. Nobody was. It was absolutely, it was a really fun, it ended up being really great. And I'm really I'm, excited to see where they go for that. James, and I watch every episode. When, when, when the first episode started, and I told you that there was a real life scenario in which Mrs. Astor, which Mrs. Vanderbilt had this spectacular mansion that everyone wanted to see, but nobody would go to it until they were able to get Mrs. Astor to come for tea one day. And once Mrs. Astor came, then the Vanderbilts were allowed into society. And this is sort of the, the story. This is a fictionalized version of that. Very good. All right. That's The Gilded Age on HBO Max. I have some catching up to do, clearly. Number two. Number two. It was Elton John's 75th birthday the other day. Wow. Happy birthday, Elton John. And I just want to read you a little something. Dear Zachary and Elijah, do you remember the first time you saw me on stage? We were in Las Vegas in 2018, and your papa brought you to the show. You were amazed by it all, the lights, the costumes, the crowd. And afterward, you both said, I didn't know daddy could do that. (laughs) Elton John has written a letter to his two sons, Zachary and Elijah, that he has with David Furnish. And it is, it's published in time. And it's really the most beautiful letter. And um, Jada Pinkett Smith said, this is a time for healing. So let's bring it on. He writes about, he says, it used to be that LGBT plus people were seen as wrong or the bad guys. 
We still have a ways to go, but your papa and I felt safe enough to bring you both into this world. We believed you would be welcome here as the children of two daddies. Um, it's just such a, it's, it is such a great thing to read because, you know, there are a lot of different ways to be family. And he also says, you know, as I write this, there's a lot of work to do. The government in Florida wants to stop kids and teachers from saying gay. And which is a heinous and frankly disgusting and ridiculous thing. Um, I, uh, you know, he talks about building bridges, not walls, which I think is really important. He talks about giving back. And he just says at the end of a letter, he says, be yourself. And remember that what unites us is far greater than what divides us. Take care of one another and try to be part of something bigger than yourself. And what a wonderful I, thing to have from your father when in when they are older and yeah. he's not around anymore. How nice that he, you know, did, did this for them. Yeah, he's going to have to write another letter when he's 100 because he's not going anywhere soon. So, you know. But I happened to overhear a conversation where Elton John told someone I know that his children's favorite show is RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm-hmm. You can't reveal any more than that. We'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good for them, and it, it's just—it was just a touching, beautiful thing, you know. He, beautiful. Oh, this is also this is kind of funny, James. He says, um, "I've had an incredibly fortunate seventy-five years, and that is true. He really has." I've had my share of adventures, and I'll tell you all. Tell you about some of the wilder ones another time. <laughs> <laughs> but know this: the most rewarding journey in my life has been the one I began twelve years ago with your papa when we decided to start a family. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I think every father knows that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, the number one thing this week that made us go wow. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton, here with Tom and James. I just want to tell you quickly about Ron and Jeff, who are the editors of I've made a new show called Why Are Humans? And it features Trixie Mattel, Katia T.S. Madison, Brooke M. Sakura, um, and more. And in the future, humans are extinct and robots rule the world. Um, it's really good. And it's on Wow Presents Plus. So- and it's set in the year 2023. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. What is the number one thing that made us go wow? Number one. Well, I wanted to um, uh, talk a little bit about the news that came out this week about Bruce Willis and how sad it is that um, his uh, we there was a um, an Instagram post from Demi Moore and from Rumor Willis and so the other daughter um, uh, Rumor and who is the other one Scout Scout yeah and they were talking about how their father is stepping back from his career as he is suffering from aphasia which is uh, a cognitive uh, disease in which you. Um, uh, your brain just uh, doesn't uh, process language anymore. And uh, it's, they said it's sort of like being set down in, a, in a, uh, a country where you don't speak the language, you don't read the language, you don't understand anything that's happening around you. And it's been happening to him for a while. And there have been pictures of him on the set recently where he has an earpiece and he's being fed lines because he was having a hard time remembering lines and everything and it's it's been, since been diagnosed that he's suffering yeah blake 
Do you think this is why he did like a record eight number eight films? Last well, he, year? you know, he did. He for the last couple of years, he has been doing. He did thirteen um, movies, I think, in two thousand nineteen, something like that. He he's been doing an awful lot lately, and you wonder if it is sort of like it to cram as much in as he can before before the end comes. But um, he's surrounded by love, and he's you know when you look back on his career. There's so many, you know, between moonlighting and, you know, so many great things that he's done. Um, uh, I just movie after movie after movie, I, I can't even name them all. But it's just it's very sad that he's suffering. There is no cure for aphasia. And um, it's just it's just a terrible. It sounds thing. a nightmare also because it doesn't sound like it's a, a disease that will kill you. Right. Well, it does lead into um, it. It, can, it, it either comes from blunt force trauma or a stroke, which they haven't quite pinpointed yet. But it does lead into dementia and Alzheimer's and some other things. So it's not something that is. Um, it, it's not going to get better. And but it also it doesn't sound like it's a twenty year disease. It sounds like it will probably advance pretty quickly. And blessings to him and to his family because it was it was you know he has that that blended family because to me his current wife and his daughter yeah. were all uh, listed on the, you know all wrote that Instagram together so and you know. and and to me is you know the, the, there's the Ashton and they're, they're all still very close that all the exes are all still very close with each other all the kids are very close with each other and um, I just you know it it breaks your heart because he is someone who's been in our life forever and ever and ever. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, but it's shining a spotlight on something that I didn't really know about. Just to be really um, uh, shallow. And Bruce Willis made being bald really sexy. Yes, yes. And there's some nude scenes of Bruce in a pool, I believe. The Color of Night. It was like one of the first <laughs> 17 movies. You used and what to was the Goldie Hawn? Wasn't he in the Goldie Hawn? Um, uh, Death Becomes Her. Yeah, he was in Death Becomes Her. He's so funny in that. And He's of course, great movies. Um, great movies. Yeah, and what's the um, the the Die I, now it's like what? Die, Die, Hard. Die Hard, of course. But what's the one with the I see dead people? Oh, uh, oh Six Sense. Yeah. Yeah, the Six Sense. Yeah, yeah you know. He's just, he's got, wow. there's, there's a lot to, to unpack with Bruce. And so, wow. yeah. Oh my gosh. We have like, it's just been a, a, a roller coaster ride of emotion on this show to this week. I'm like exhausted. <laughs> um, thank you, Tom. Thank you, James. Thank you, Blake, for being here for our 299th show. Thank you. Hey, thank you, um, Andy Khan, for having us all this time. Um, we haven't been fired. This is the longest job I've ever had where I haven't been fired. <laughs> you said Macbeth on the air. Now maybe you're not making sense. And you just said it again. <laughs> you can catch previous episodes on our YouTube channel, Wow Presents. We'll see you hopefully same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do oh something. Oh my God, what if this is like a Betty White case scenario where like we're we're just about to make it to 300. <laughs> she just about made, she was three days short of 100 and we get we get canceled the day before our 300th. Hopefully we'll see you next week for our 300th show. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow. Wow. Back to the 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 back to